This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Everyone is talking about green hydrogen as the fuel of the future. It's regarded as a key way the global economy can transition away from polluting fossil fuels to create a cleaner and greener future. Huge projects have been announced worth many billions of dollars. And more and more governments say they see the promise of using renewable energy to create hydrogen that can power factories, generate electricity, and even fuel ships and planes. But is all this just more hype, or is there real promise in rapidly scaling up green hydrogen production? And what are the challenges ahead? To answer these questions is Mr. Alex Tancock, Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of Intercontinental Energy, a developer of large-scale hydrogen projects in some of the sunniest places on Earth. Welcome to the show, Alex. No, thanks for having me. It's a real privilege to be on your show. Uh, especially with um, gas tech taking place in Singapore. Um, it's a very topical week to be talking about the future of energy. Yes, that's right. This, this massive uh, energy conference uh, that starts uh, September the 5th and runs to the September the 8th in Singapore. So my, my first question to you is, you know, we've, we've all heard a lot about green hydrogen, um, but what is green hydrogen and why is it attracting so much interest from investors and governments? And Will it actually help the world shift away from fossil fuels? Yeah. So I, I guess that's the, the, the really big question and why everybody is so interested and excited about it. Um, the way I would explain it is that if you think about how we consume energy um, as a civilization, we consume about a third of it in the form of electrons, so electricity. So that's, you know, switching on your lights, charging your electric vehicle, etc. The other two-thirds of the energy we consume is in the form of molecules, so fuels, chemicals, products, and, and all of those are hard to substitute with electricity as the input. Some can be, like electric vehicles, but many of them can't be. And so hydrogen is a pathway that we can use to decarbonize and to make sustainable over half of the energy that we consume. So it's not really a case of, um, you know, creating green hydrogen and then finding uses for it. The uses are the uses we all have today, but it's rather finding a way of making the hydrogen that we use clean and sustainable and carbon free. And so that's sort of the purpose of hydrogen. The, 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 the way we make it green is by using renewable energy as the input and then using water as the way of making the hydrogen. So hydrogen doesn't occur naturally. You, you can't just find hydrogen lying around, even if it's the most common element in the universe. We have to make it. Now, at the moment, the way we make it is we use fossil fuels. So we take the hydrogen out of natural gas, out of coal, out of oil, and we use that hydrogen and we mix it with other elements, whether you know, nitrogen, carbon, oxygen, and we make all the products that we use today, you know, fuels, uh, fertilizers, pharmaceuticals, etc. But that same hydrogen, instead of using it from fossil fuels, we can take it from water, right? Water is H2O. It's two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. But we have to split that. So it, that takes energy. And so if we can use renewable energy in the form of wind and sun, 
then we can split the water into hydrogen and oxygen. And then we can take that hydrogen and substitute it into all the, 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 the industrial power transport applications that we use molecules in today. So that's why it's important and that's why people are excited about it. Great, great. Just tell us a little bit more about the main uses for green hydrogen and you know, going forward and how it can replace some of the existing um, fossil fuels uh, you know, that, that we use to, to power much of our economies today. So, so think of hydrogen as a master molecule. That's how some people refer to it. And so lots of what we do today, whether it's making plastics, pharmaceuticals, fertilizers, explosives, uh, e-fuels, um, you know, uh, jet fuel, all of these different uses um, that currently start as a fossil fuel, um, they're basically combining hydrogen with all these other elements. And so we take this same hydrogen molecule that we've made through green uh, methods, and then, you know, we can put it into many of the existing uh, markets. So, for example, um, in the power sector, uh, we can, instead of burning coal or natural gas in the power station, we can burn hydrogen or one of its derivatives, uh, ammonia, for example, in that same power station. So that's a way of a direct substitution of something that was a fossil fuel to something that would be renewable. We can use it in transport as well. So whether, again, we use hydrogen directly uh, or we turn it into something like methanol, um, ammonia, or some e-sin fuel, then we can use it in shipping, in airplanes, in heavy transport. Um, you know, I, I, you know, the, the electric uh, vehicle for, for sort of the smaller scale cars seems to be a, quite a success at the moment. But again, for mining equipment, uh, some of these larger scale uh, transport issues, um, we will need sort of fuels. Um, then we can also use it as a direct substitute, again, when we're making fertilizer, pharmaceuticals, and many of the industrial processes, including heating, um, you know, uh, green steel being a really good example. Um, so the idea is that at the moment is that, you know, we use coal in order to make steel um, and we can substitute that coal and use hydrogen instead. Um, and again, if the hydrogen is coming from a renewable source, then it's, it's a clean substitution. And then I guess one of the other things, you know, when we're looking at um, not just sort of the use of the product, um, but one of the sort of benefits that we can obtain from this is all the jobs and innovation that come with those uses. So as we think about creating jobs in the economy, growing the economies in sustainable ways, um, you know, the green hydrogen economy will be a fully sustainable economy because it's not extractive. It's not based on, you know, inputs that deplete. Um, so that means that we can create really, you know, high quality, long term sustainable jobs. So, so that's another reason that governments and, and, and large, you know, uh, companies are very excited uh, about green hydrogen. Great. So, uh, I mean, it's good to know that there are a lot of uses, right? That it's just not a, not a one shot deal. So um, now you've co-founded Intercontinental Energy back in 2014. So what was your vision for the company and how has the industry sort of changed since then? I guess it's changed quite rapidly. Yeah, it's, it's changing incredibly rapidly and, and, and sort of we can use some of the analogies even from, from our business to sort of think about how the industry is, is, is rapidly evolving. Um, so, you know, the, the original vision was, was sort of relatively straightforward in some ways. Um, you know, in the mid-2000s, we became, um, it became possible to get satellite images 
um, that showed you basically where it was windy or sunny in the world, um, you know, from data sets that were coming from satellites. And, you know, you could quickly see that there were big deserts all around the world that were, you know, some of them very windy, some of them, you know, obviously all of them very sunny. Um, and so, you know, the idea was that if we were really going to undertake an energy transition globally, then you need to be producing at scale uh, substitutes for fossil fuels. Um, and so we looked at the world and we looked at where we thought were the most prospective sites, what we call tier one sites. So these are sites that are the, the, the sunniest during the day, the windiest at night, close to the shore and in desert areas where there aren't people and where the environmental impacts would be more acceptable for doing you know, larger projects. And so, you know, we did this uh, in 2014, we did this sort of global search for projects um, and we identified again what we thought would be the, the best potential projects and we started developing them. And the sort of the green hydrogen story started a few years later. You know, the question is once you've got these fantastic projects that can produce the lowest clean energy in, in the world, you know, what do you do with that energy? Um, you know, if it's stuck in the desert, it's not much use. So, so that's when we started, you know, pivoting to using um, green hydrogen as our vector to export that energy to consumers all around the world. Um, so, so that's sort of, you know, we, we were there as a pioneer because we decided to, you know, get started on these mega scale projects before anybody, you know, conceived of them. Um, and then we, you know, got into the green hydrogen industry because it was the obvious way of getting that energy to market, getting products to market, um, and decarbonizing um, the supply chain, which I talked about earlier. And if you look at sort of the the, the, the projects that we've developed, you know, you know, we've permitted, you know, for example, AR, the Australian Renewable Energy Hub. Um, you know, uh, we've teamed up with some really big partners to develop these projects, and that analogy sort of goes through the industry. You know, projects are you know multiplying everywhere. Um, both very large scale like ours, but also smaller scale ones. Um, so the industry itself is going through this, you know, exponential growth in, in projects, which is really exciting. But along with that growth, there's a question of innovation. You know, how do you integrate these large scale projects or small scale projects? Um, now, whilst much of the technology we use as the base for what we do exists today, so solar panels, wind turbines, electrolyzers, pipelines, power lines, etc. Um, you know, there are areas that need still a lot of innovation, uh, like electrolyzers to bring the cost down, but also the integration of all of that. Um, and again, our, our contribution to that as a company is our P2H2 node, so power to hydrogen node. And, and effectively, if you think about where huge projects go wrong, Right. We, we often read about, you know, the Olympics is behind schedule over budget, you know, nuclear power stations, uh, you know, these huge complex projects tend to go over budget and be behind schedule. But because in the industry we operate in, you know, you know, wind turbines, solar panels, electrolyzers, these all come from factories. Um, the, the tricky part is integrating them. And so we developed this modular concept where instead of thinking of one big project, um, take AREH as an example in Australia, you break it down into lots of little projects and think of each project as a repeatable element. So this modularity can drive down cost. So, so that's our P2H2 node innovation. Thanks. Yes, um, that was a good sort of segue into my next question, which is 
to ask you about some of the projects yourself and your partners are involved in uh, developing in Australia, Oman, and Saudi Arabia. And by any measure you know, or scale, <laughs> these projects are vast. So give us a sense of just how large they are in terms of area, um, you know, investment size in terms of money, but also you know, the power generation of, of the combined wind and solar uh, you know, installations. And then also give us a sense of perhaps when construction will start on some of these projects. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I think the easiest thing maybe is take one as an example, um, because sort of one of our concepts, as I mentioned, is this idea of modularity. And, you know, that modularity isn't just through each project, but across all of our projects. So again, rather than reinventing the wheel at everything we do, um, you know, we, we sort of design one of these P2H2 nodes and we roll it across all of our projects. So if I take the Australian Renewable Energy Hub as an example, this is our most advanced project. Um, it's in the Pilbara region of Western Australia, um, very close to where all the iron ore mines are, which, which we can move on to in a minute because that's interesting too. Um, as I mentioned, our, our concept was to go for scale because scale drives down cost um, and scale also produces product, which we all need. So this project occupies a land area nine times the size of Singapore, uh, to give it some local context. Um, but within that land area, we only use an actual footprint of about three or 4%. So the vast majority of the desert that this project's going to be developed in remains untouched. Um, we only have to touch about three or four percent of the actual land because, you know, wind turbines have huge spacing between them. And then the solar panels, um, you know, don't touch much of the land either. So, so, but, but you need a large area to produce that much power. And again, when we talk about how much power, you know, we're talking about a project that will be bigger than the Three Gorges Dam in, in how much power it produces. Um, you know, roughly twice the size of, of the power in Singapore, uh, to give it another example. And the output of the production will be 1.6 million tons of green hydrogen per year once it's fully built. Then what we did with this project was, you know, we started developing it in 2015, um, you know, permitted more than half of it already, um, but then we've grown it a little bit. Um, BP has come in as, as a major partner and the operator of the project. Um, and that was, again, an important part of what we were trying to achieve, which was, you know, if you're going to take these projects through to fruition and they're costing tens of billions of dollars, then, you know, we, we thought it was a better idea to work with a partner that was very experienced um, in delivering these mega scale projects. So, so it, you know, we're very privileged to be working with BP, um, who's actually taking over from us as the operator of the project. Um, so, so it's going to be their experience that now drives this forward, which is very exciting. Um, and, and similarly, you know, in, in Oman and our project Geo, um, it's now Shell that has come into that project to be the operator of that project and drive that project forward. Um, so as you can see, again, coming back to that theme of partnerships, you know, it, it's, it's about identifying the best way to deliver these projects so that they can actually happen as quickly as possible. Um, now, we're still a few ways, uh, a few years away from building um, in, on the ground at these projects. You know, the, these are complex projects. Um, and although we've been working on them and as quickly as possible, you know, it's going to be a few years yet till we, till we hit FID and they, they start outright construction. Um, but we are, together with our partners, moving as, 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 you know, as quickly as and efficiently as, as we can. And then, you know, critical to all of that, you know, you raise the question about how you pay for it all. 
you know, you know, last year we were very excited to announce that GIC, um, you know, the sovereign wealth fund of Singapore became a strategic investor in intercontinental energy. And so again, when, when you look at the, 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 the size and scale of these projects, you know, you, you know, you think of a BP and a shell working together with a company like us that has GIC involved, um, as a strategic investor. And, and, you know, you start conceiving of these being real and, and, you know, that they will get delivered. Um, because you see the seriousness of, of, of the teams working behind them. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Yes, I was going to mention that um, there's no lack of interest in green hydrogen uh, and that Singapore, Australia, Britain, and other governments already have national hydrogen strategies uh, underpinning that that uh, strategic sort of interest and demand going forward, I would say. Um, and the Global Hydrogen Council says more than 1,000 uh, hydrogen projects have been announced uh, in recent years, representing $320 billion US dollars in direct investment between now and 2030. Um, however, only about, or in fact, I, th- I think even a little less than 10% of those investment uh, announcements have reached final investment decision. So it does lead to the question as to what's holding the industry back. Yeah, look, it is, it is a very pertinent question. Um, but, but I guess I, I, I would sort of flip, flip that a little bit and say and nothing's really holding the industry back per se as, as to rather, you know, it is a new industry. And it's a new industry that has to scale up more quickly than any other industry at this scale has. Um, if you think of the analogies of LNG or, or renewable energy for electrons, you know, the, the LNG is now what, 70 years old almost, uh, you know, renewable energy on land, winds and sun is, is decades old too. And, you know, there is a lot of expectation now for the green hydrogen industry to scale up quickly. But, you know, these are like with any infrastructure project projects that take time. Um, and so, you know, we will see um, these massive projects and, and small projects being delivered, and they are starting to be delivered. But, you know, we, when we announced the Australian Renewable Energy Hub in 2018, you know, this was the first time that a large-scale green hydrogen project had ever been announced, you know, anywhere. Um, and we're only five years later. So, you know, I, I just think that's, that's just the reality of the situation we find ourselves in. But, but if you look at the government policies and the industrial policies that are being put in place and how quickly they've been put in place since then, you know, in Australia, you have the hydrogen Head Start program that the government announced to inject a few billion dollars into large scale green hydrogen projects. You know, the Japanese government has recently announced that they want to put over a trillion dollars into supporting projects. You know, the Singapore hydrogen roadmap, which came out recently that envisages maybe up to half of the energy in Singapore coming from hydrogen and its derivative products. So we are seeing, you know, that, that, that the governments of the world and, and, and even consumers, you know, like Amazon and, and consumers like Google that want to go, you know, carbon free um, in a very short space of time, they have, you know, put in place already, you know, what will be significant support policies. Um, and these complement very nicely, you know, their, their, their carbon reduction goals, you know, achieving carbon neutrality by often 2050, you know, that's a very common year that people are aiming for. Um, so, you know, it is a new industry, you know, expectations are high. 
Um, but, but you are seeing things happen very, very quickly, far more quickly than we have with, with any other energy technology uh, in, in recent history. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I take the point that perhaps we're expecting a little too much too soon for the green hydrogen revolution to take off. But there still are concerns, I think, uh, around, for example, the International Energy Agency says that there are uncertainties around future demand for the fuel and its applications, and that the infrastructure to ship hydrogen, ammonia and other derivatives is still being developed. So what's your, what's your view on this? The challenge that we have as an industry is, is clearly to scale up um, and scale up very quickly and at huge scale. And I would see that more as an opportunity rather than a challenge. You know, as we look at the technology companies and as we look at the, the large energy companies out there, what you're seeing is this incredible explosion in research and development in hydrogen, in how to transport hydrogen and how to bring the cost of production down. And what that means is that it's creating this entire new wave of economic growth and opportunities. You know, Singapore, for example, you know, it's, it's, it's got a huge uh, business in bunkering. Um, you know, it's a very big energy hub for Southeast Asia. And so, you know, you know it's, it's not surprising, you know, that they are sort of at the, at the forefront of this. Um, and, and so, you know, these opportunities, um, again, whether it's companies like ours that are developing the projects in, in the supply side, or it's, you know, companies that are doing the imports at the terminals on the demand side, um, these are things that we're going to see unfold in, in the coming years and decades ahead. Um, and it's, it's, and it's exciting. And just a question on cost, because I guess people are sort of wondering what is the cost of green hydrogen and, and how does it? Uh, relate to the cost of, I guess, gas would be the nearest equivalent, for example. So, so there's a lot of different ways of looking at, at, at that cost um, in terms of how they compare. Um, and usually, you know, when it's, it's about the cost for the end use. So, you know, there are some uh, uses which are more cost sensitive than others. And then the other thing is the cost curve on which we're on. So if you look at the recent track record, for example, of wind and solar, um, you know, the costs have dropped, you know, tenfold in the last two decades. So the cost of green hydrogen today versus five years versus 10 years versus 15 years versus 20 years, um, you know, it will continue to drop. How quickly, you know, nobody really knows. But if you look at the track record of, of wind and solar as technology driven costs, which green hydrogen is a very similar thing, um, they will continue to drop. Um, then you also have to sort of take into account the cost of the consumer. You know, are they nearby? Um, are they distant? Um, you know, are they, you shipping via pipeline or producing? And, and I, I mentioned that, um, you know, at the, uh, the project in the Pilbara, the Australian Renewable Energy Hub, you know, one of the discussions we're now having there is bringing industry closer to the project. Um, now, being one of the world's uh, largest exporting regions for iron ore, you know, instead of exporting hydrogen to a consumer in, say, North Asia who then produces steel, you know, what you can do is you can produce the steel in the Pilbara where the hydrogen is made, and then you can ship green steel. And so there's a lot of innovation taking place right now to, you know, look for ways to reduce the cost of the product itself, green hydrogen, but also then to reduce the supply chain cost of using that green hydrogen. 
So it, it's, it's not really, there's no real straightforward answer as to what does it cost because every project is different and every use case is, is, is different. Um, now, I, I think most people would accept that, you know, from here to 2030, the green hydrogen is going to probably cost more than the fossil fuel equivalent. Um, so in the near term, there will have to be some level of support, um, you know, in, in one shape or form. But, you know, as you look out to 2030 and beyond and you look at the forecasts for, you know, decreasing technology costs, um, then, you know, there will come a time just like it did with, with renewable energy on land and even offshore wind nowadays to a degree where, you know, green hydrogen will be, you know, standalone competitive in, in increasing numbers of scenarios. Yeah, so it's, yes, I, I guess that's right, right? Because it's a new industry and the costs will always be higher at the start. But I guess also by 2030, we'll have a much clearer idea, both in terms of how costs will feature in the future, but also I guess there'll be a lot more investment by then. And I would assume by the, the end of this decade, we'll have a much clearer idea as to the promise of green hydrogen going forward, if that's correct. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, you know, I've seen this before. Those of us that have been in the industry in, in renewables for a long time have seen this all happen before. You know, the, 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 where we are in green hydrogen is where we were in renewables when I joined the industry over 20 years ago. Um, you know, and, and what you've seen there is that, you know, wind and solar energy went from being sort of niche, you know, nice to haves, you know, that had promise to where they are today being the cheapest new sources of electricity on the planet. Um, and, and we achieved all that, you know, in, 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 you know, just over two decades. So all of those learnings and, and that sort of experience of what happened there, I think are quite applicable to where we are in green hydrogen today. And again, the discussions we're having today, it's just, it's, it's funny how similar they are to where we were before 20 years ago, you know, talking to policymakers, talking to senior decision makers in government, you know, working with incumbents in the energy sector, talking to consumers and customers, you know, all of these discussions are exactly where we were 20 years ago with wind and solar on land. Um, and where we were sort of 10 years ago with offshore wind. Um, so again, we've seen this story before. Um, you know, we know how it ends. It ends with green hydrogen being the cheapest source of clean molecules on the planet. Um, you know, and it ends with lots of jobs. It ends with, you know, huge economic benefits. Um, but we're really at the beginning of that journey now. Great. Thank you so much, Alex. We really appreciate you know, detailed insights from, from someone who's been you know, at the very beginnings of, sort of the green hydrogen uh, investment. I guess it is a revolution, really. Thanks, thanks very much for being our guest today. No, no, it's been a pleasure. No, no, thank you very much for having me. And, and again, maybe I'll just sort of finish off with, with just by sort of emphasizing that the point you just made, because I think it's the one to take away, which is that, you know, we are at the beginning of this uh, energy transition and green hydrogen is going to play a huge role in that. And, and it's really a challenge, but, but it's a huge opportunity. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A W E D I O.